The first rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club Minute is we do talk about Fight Club. The third rule of Fight Club Minute, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the minute is over. Fourth rule, only one guest to a minute. Fifth rule, one minute at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirt, no shoes. Seventh rule, minutes will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first time listening to Fight Club Minute, enjoy the show. I am Jack's 23rd minute. I start with Tyler and Jack contemplating the responsibilities of sitting in an emergency exit row, and I end with Jack asking what Tyler does. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat, and joining me is most definitely the man for this particular job, my co-host, Lance Stanford. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I I have no witty thing to say just because I love this minute, so I'm just, I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> And joining us once again is our guest, who is as calm as a Hindu cow, Tyler Boudreau. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Happy to represent all the Tylers of the world and the the negative representation that we've gotten in, in so many pieces of media. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back to this Wednesday episode. And, you know, before we get into today's minutes, I, I do have, you know, a fun question to uh, to start off hump day. So that is, you know, if you had to fight any celebrity, living or dead, who would it be? Um, do they have to be real or? <laughs> I mean, I've it hasn't come up yet, but I I guess you could go with fictional characters as well. Because my joke answer was going to be Waluigi, but I have a real answer. <laughs> <laughs> the regional um, guy. Something that might come up later is that um I I studied classics in college. I'm I'm literally a Latin teacher. And um, we'll talk about Achilles playing, or sorry, Brad Pitt playing Achilles <laughs> at some point. But um, if you if you study um, some ancient Latin, there's a poet named Catullus, um, and he was sort of um, an avant-garde Roman poet in the, the the Caesar era, and he was you know when everyone else was writing like these very like traditional like trying to copy the Greek style and epic poems that have to be this certain meter in this certain form. Catullus was doing things that were like short and very personal and distinctly not epic. And he sort of not, not revolutionized, but he sort of put a, put a dent in things in a very interesting way. Famously, he, he wrote many vulgar poems that mm -hmm. somehow monks for the past 2000 years decided were artistic enough to be worth keeping, even though they were about, you know, sexually assaulting people and stuff like that. But he also wrote one poem about a, a guy who stole his napkin. So I figure <laughs> if I fight Catullus, if I just really pound the crap out of him, there's a chance that he writes a poem about me. And then, and then I go through the annals of history as the guy that, Catullus was mad at because I beat him up. <laughs> nice. That that reminds me of one. Um, I think they they found an artifact from ancient Egypt that was uh, considered like one of the the first complaints that uh, that the translation came out to be like somebody complaining about the price of copper, oh, or about yeah, uh, or about like the quality of this person's copper that he bought. Yeah, that's that's a classic. If you're on the the classics memes. Um, Twitter and Facebook pages. 
I forget the guy's name, but yeah, for sure. I would love to be that. I would love to be remembered for being a jerk, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, but I'm not really a fighter, I guess. So I don't have like a, like a, like a fun answer. Like, I don't want to like fight Ben Shapiro or something. Like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, but um yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, let's go ahead and jump into today's minutes. And and I do like how this this starts with that that insert shot of the the exit door that where, you know, it, it's him contemplating. Oh, yeah, we are in an exit row and uh, about how Tyler is, you know, th- this introduction is, is starting with him doing something that's seemingly responsible, you know, reading the exit row indu- introductions, and then they immediately undercut it by saying how how he goes into this diatribe about how ridiculous it would be to use an exit door at 30,000 feet. And and then he uh, also asks Jack if he wants to switch places with him, and Jack replies that he's not sure he's the man for the particular job. And I, I think that's that's important, you know, him using the the term man, and uh, and also, you know, he's saying that he's not sure he's the man, and Tyler will eventually turn him into something that he more or less considers him more of a man at the end of it i'll make a man out of you <laughs> yes <laughs> in just seven days now now i want to see now i want to see like a like a, a music video of this movie like edited but with the mulan song i'll make a man out of you <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Like you said, <laughs> you said that, and I, for some reason, I heard and uh, the Rocky Horror in just seven days, I'll make you a man. Yeah, there's there's lots of valid. Hey, that's a meatloaf connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think this is also a nice little setup for the payoff later when they switch out the cards. You know, uh, during Project Mayhem stuff. This is this movie does a lot of check off gunning and like hey we're going to show you something and we're going to bring it back and we're going to bring it back whether it's the we talked about a couple a few weeks ago and i just blinked on them but you know yeah the the fact that this crucial moment of when tyler and the narrator meet becomes a homework assignment by the end of the film is i I think is a really nice little nod to uh, a nice little callback to this moment yeah, and you know he does bring up this this whole uh, I kind of call it one of Tyler's conspiracy theories. Uh, I I I feel like this is really his first conspiracy theory with this oxygen mask and how he feels like it's it's designed not to save your life, but it's designed to get you high and and make you accept your fate. Oxygen gets you high. <laughs> Yeah, and and of course I did do a you know went down a little mini research rabbit hole, and you know because I knew that that wasn't actually accurate, and I did kind of fall into this uh, this mini rabbit hole. I think I spent like a half an hour reading about like oxygen toxicity. You know, if if you do uh, breathe in high concentrations of oxygen for too long it's actually it actually becomes toxic because your your body's not designed to handle 
pure oxygen. It's it's designed to handle, you know, the the air is typically around uh, 20 to 25% oxygen. It's mostly, you know, nitrogen and CO2 and uh, other things. And so after a long period of time, you know, usually it's like, you know, over 10 hours and or with higher pressures, like if you're scuba diving and, and you're breathing like pressurized oxygen, you can get this oxygen toxicity. And the the symptoms are not are not, you know, the this sense of euphoria or getting high. Instead, you have like coughing, chest pain, dizziness, blurred vision, uh, it's a sense of confusion. But it's not something that would typically happen with an oxygen mask. And I did also look into, you know, the, the, like the makeup of an oxygen mask. Cause um, I'm sure most people, and, and I think I kind of thought this is, you know, you think that the oxygen mask, there's like, you know, basically like little mini scuba tanks for each one or something like that. But instead it's, it's actually a uh, chemical oxygen generator and it, it creates this exothermic reaction that um, creates that's as a waste product of, of this chemical reaction creates oxygen, which is generally enough for about 12 to 22 minutes, which is, of course, not nearly long enough to trigger trigger oxygen toxicity in anybody. I, I'm really more shocked that Tyler doesn't um, break down. You, you know how like when you're on a plane, it's like, put your mask on first before helping others. And I feel like that's an opportunity he could have had to talk about put yours on and then don't help others, you know, let them fight for themselves, <laughs> their, their worth or something. What, wasn't there, wasn't there like a, a fad of like oxygen cafes where like you go in <laughs> and the oxygen content's like a little higher and that does sort of like make you feel a little bubbly. Yeah. They're still in Vegas. Vegas still has um, a few and stuff. And then there's always, you know, you always hear that Vegas pumps in fresh oxygen into the casinos and stuff, which I don't know how true that is either, but yeah, um, really that like late nineties, early odds, there's a lot of oxygen talk for, for some reason. <laughs> well, it's interesting because also like the idea that like, it's not like an oxygen tank, but it's a chemical reaction. Like it feels like if Tyler Durden knew that, that would be another thing that he could go off on. It's like, you're not breathing air, you're breathing chemicals as if mm -hmm. air isn't chemicals, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's like there, you know, you say that reminds me of there, there's this Facebook group that uh, talks about the, you know, it, it's a, it's a parody, but I think, you know, I, there's a small portion of people that find that and don't realize it's parody, but it, it talks about the dangers of dihydrogen monoxide, Oh, mm, yes. which is, which for most people, you realize that that's just a, a different way to say water, but uh, you know, they, they, basically explain how dihydrogen monoxide is in all these different various products you know it's and speak about it in the same way that a lot of people talk about like gmos and, and other chemicals like how um how like the whitening product used in like ranch dressing is the same that's used in sunscreen <laughs> so i have a question what if what if no one on on the plane wants to sit in the like emergency row? Like, what if no one volunteers? Uh, they, they get voluntold. I don't know. But, like, well, it's it, probably the uh, you know the becomes the duty of uh, 
like one of the uh, flight attendants. Does, does like is that even a thing anymore? Do they still bother like with the emergency exit row and like making sure the person is re- willing uh-huh. to do the job? Oh yeah, I was just on a plane uh, earlier this year, and they before they do the stuff, they the one of the attendants comes up to the people in that row and like, hey, da 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 da, and they go over everything before they go over the whole plane uh, instruction. They still like. I guess sit down and have the talk with them, which is mm-hmm. wouldn't have someone wouldn't someone have talked about that with the protagonist then, like when he got on, or would, was he already asleep and then this just started I, happening? Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I get the feeling that he was already asleep because you know he probably as soon as he sat down and and put his briefcase under his seat, then he probably just fell asleep. It makes me think of that old Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, uh, somebody tried to give him a ticket for blocking a fire exit. And he's like, I have <laughs> legs and I am flammable. I will not block the fire exit. And like, it's mm, kind of yeah. the same thing here. If you are flammable and have legs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Love it. And and I did also look up, you know, I, I didn't spend as much time on this, but I did look up your odds of surviving an emergency water landing. And it's, it's actually pretty high. It's about at 80, 88%. Although that statistic that I found does exclude, uh, it, it does specifically exclude like uncontrolled crashes. It, it's only like if there is some issue with the plane and they had to make an emergency water landing and they were still able to control the plane, like the that survival rate is about 88%. So yeah, it's it's actually not that you know it, it is something that's survivable. Now, did they run those odds with the assumption that Sully was the pilot, or no? <laughs> that I don't know. It's uh, you know, it's this this minute really is mostly just about this this whole uh, conspiracy theory, and then we we get to the his brief line about the the pictures being looking as calm as hindu cows and you know i won't spend too long on it but of course you know it, most people know that the cows are sacred and you know most hindu people they don't eat beef because of that although they do eat dairy products because they they view cows as um you know as something that gives life so it, it is they do eat dairy and yogurt and, and that sort of things but they they don't eat beef because uh, you know that would involve killing the cow to get to get the beef the um the image of the of the very calm hindu cow passengers preparing for a crash landing or whatever reminded me of um a saturday night live sketch from a couple years ago where bowen yang plays like the model for the the guy on the the restaurant choking Heimlich poster mm-hmm. and he he walks into a restaurant and he goes like ah people are going to recognize me I'm going to be embarrassed and then people recognize him and they're like do the face do the face and he makes the like choking face like you could do a sequel to that sketch on a plane where he's like I, I hate being on planes and then <laughs> it's a twist is because he's the guy on the on the cutout and they're all like do the pose do the pose and then he <laughs> <laughs> does a little yeah sublimates his body <laughs> uh, it, it's been a long time since i've watched 
Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. I think I only, I think I only watched like occasional notable sketches whenever they show up and on social media. I think like the last thing that I watched was the the most recent uh, David Pumpkin sketch from like last mm. Halloween. I was disappointed, and I, I have a particularly strong relationship with David Pumpkins, and I I was sort of resentful that they went back to it. Yeah, it, it wasn't. You know, I I still enjoyed it, but it it was like basically just the same sketch, <laughs> you know, almost word for word. And I don't mind iterative humor. Uh, the 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 SNL, the long running Keenan Thompson, what's up with that? Um, gag sketch is is like is always funny to me every time. But anyway, we're talking about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I think I think it's worth mentioning in this you know, in today's minute, that this this scene of them meeting in a plane is actually original to the movie. And the in the book, it, it actually jumps around a lot. You know, it talks about him being a, you know, the the night projectionist. And it's it's mixed in with that. And then at the end of that chapter, it finally gets to him talking about when they first met and it was at a nude beach. And they also bring this up in the uh, in the DVD commentary with the the cast and and Fincher, and I I had heard it in the commentary long before I read the book. I mean, technically, I still haven't read the book, but I did kind of skim through this chapter to so we could talk about it. And in the commentary, they they mentioned that you know they meet him on a, a new beach, and uh, Tyler is making a sundial, and I always assumed whenever that they whenever they said it that way and knowing the type of character that Tyler is, I thought that they were implying that Tyler was like laying down on the beach and making a sundial with his penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I read it the same way because that's what he would do, uh, you know, or some variation thereof, for sure. Yeah, but, but actually reading reading it, he's... Like he is nude on a nude beach, but he's like building this this sculpture with logs, and it's a it's actually a a shadow sculpture. And the way he describes it is, the shadow looks like a hand, but it only looks like a hand whenever the whenever the time hits four thirty, and it only looks correct for about a minute. And it it's about you know creating something beautiful that only lasts for a minute, and I I think that's that's interesting the way that it's described in the book and and you know it's about making something beautiful that that only lasts for just a short period of time and I think that's that's kind of interesting and and you know just talking about it now it reminds me that there is like um, you know there is things like that in that actually do exist in the world. Like there is, I, I think it's called like Panther rock and it's this rock formation and only for like a week out of the year and only for like um, a certain time of day, it creates like a perfect shadow of a Panther, but you can only see it's like, you know, for a few hours a day for like a week in the year is the only time that it looks that it actually looks like a panther but it it, it is this 
this uh, thing that exists. And it's, it's like one of those, it's, it's beautiful, but fleeting. Yeah. Art is the experience of witnessing it and not the, the object itself. Mm-hmm. So as why... a rejection of consumerism, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think, you know, switching to this style of meeting, like having meet on the plane, um, fits more in line with the movies. It just make to me, it makes a tighter narrative, uh, how we constantly are in airports and visiting airports and talk about travel and stuff is helps tie it up uh, nice and neat in a bow. And I think I could be wrong. I should have double checked on this. Like I know Paul Nick likes the ending to the movie, but he's like, yeah, that kind of wraps stuff up nicely. But I, I feel like in the commentary, his commentary, he talks about liking the, the meat cute in the movie better than the, the one in the book. Yeah, they. Um, I have a bit more notes about that in the next minute because they, you know, we don't get a lot of the the power shift yet, and and they talk about that in the commentary. So I've I've got more notes about the the whole power shift that happens, uh, which happens more in the conversation next minute. I guess the nudist speech like emphasizes the sexuality of the character and the like tension with Tyler Durden there i know nudist beats i know nudist speeches aren't supposed to be inherently sexual but um it's easy to see why they didn't do it in the movie obviously but um, although in the in the commentary brad pitt did, did say that you know he would have been totally up for <laughs> for a nude beach <laughs> scene i think you kind of get that power handoff here though i mean we, it sets it up because when he's like i don't think i'm the man for that and tyler is the one sitting next to the window He's like, I, I'm not the man for that. I think you kind of start that ball rolling here uh, for sure. Yeah, we do get a little bit of that where it's, but it, it's more like, you know, he, Tyler does kind of come in and in a position of power in this minute. And then in the next minute, we get a bit more of the um, kind of what I'll refer to as negging a bit. <laughs> Tyler is the guy who's capable of actually helping evacuate the plane but will refuse to do it whereas <laughs> the protagonist is the guy who's incapable of being helpful in the emergency situation but will like begr- not even begrudgingly but what will um just uh, like passively agree well like i guess i'm in the seat so i gotta do it and then you know it's the passivity but you know following the status quo versus the agency but choosing to use that agency to not help people that is also subtly introduced here as well Mm -hmm. i think i would almost flip that because i would see uh because the narrator is always we've established you know he's about my suffering their suffering and all these support groups and people suffering together whereas i feel like tyler is very much the great liberator you know he's the one who saves people from their mundane so i would argue that tyler would be the one that would save the people almost like in like as a recruitment tool uh because you know there is a line later on about like say what is it? he's the great liberator the great oh, i don't know some, something along those lines um so I, I would i would think tyler would free them and the narrator would just you know it'd be like a whole new support group of people who died in the plane or you know not died in the plane crash but people who survived as everyone else died because the door didn't open or something that he would view it as a new opportunity to connect over grief and loss a little bit like his uh human sacrifice that's that'll show up later in the movie 
Yeah. I could see that. I do like when Edward Norton just says, that's an interesting theory <laughs> because non-responses when you're talking to strangers are, are helpful. You got to come up with ways to end conversations. Yeah, we, we don't see too much of it, but we do kind of get, I think I talked about it in an earlier week, we, we do get the impression that that Jack, like Edward Norton's character, is good at the small talk. Like he he is able to to carry conversations with all these single serving friends, but we don't really get to see a whole lot of it except for a little bit of it here in this conversation. Well, you also get a cool little switch because in the last conversation, he was the one, you know, being not overbearing. <laughs> But being morbid yeah <laughs> and she was like uh okay and now he's the one's like okay that's interesting like the again that shift there is is, is fun even then like his whole like diatribe about the plane thing is like as much of a conspiracy theory rant as what tyler says in this minute like the i guess you could line those up as pretty much like equivalent speeches yeah Kind of shows that that connection between the two of them pretty quickly and like within just a minute of each other, like in, uh, yeah, just like a minute apart. But that's that's all the the notes that I have for this minute. Um, so I I think that that wraps up this today's episode. And you know, again, thank you, Tyler, for joining us this week. And uh, I'll give you another opportunity here to let everybody else know about your other projects and where you can be found online. Well, thank you. It's been great to be here. Am I really here or am I just a figment of your <laughs> imagination? Willing to say sure the does. things that you're that you're only <laughs> thinking in the back of your mind. No. Yes. Um, you can find me on the Wildcat Minute podcast where we talk about high school musical movies one minute at a time. Search for Amateur Nerds in your podcast feed and you can listen to us talk about Disney Channel original movies. Yeah, so this has been Fight Club Minute. We are part of the Rabbit Hole Podcast Network. Check them out, whatever you like, whether it's music, uh, writing, mo obviously movies, uh, anything you like, any kind of pop culture, non-pop culture, there's a show out there for you. You can find us everywhere at Fight Club Minute um, on whatever's out there. Bubble Wheat is Bubble Wheat. I'm the Night Nerd. Uh, make sure to follow us for all sorts of exciting things. Also, we have a cool contest going where if we get 25 reviews, um, we will give you, we will pick a person at random and send you a copy of Fight Club 2. At 50, we'll do Fight Club 3. And that's open to everybody. If it's here in the Continental, you'll get a physical copy. If you're overseas, you'll get a digital copy uh, just because international shipping is stupid. But that's going to do it for us. It's been a lot of fun. And this is the Fight Club Minute, and it's ending one minute at a time. You know why they put oxygen masks on planes? So you can breathe. Oxygen gets you high. Hey, Brenda, did you hear about that super shady secret organization? Which one? The, the CIA? The KGB? The FBI? Even worse. Rabbit Hole Podcasts. Brenda, I believe RHP is hiding proof of alien life, and I think you and I should uncover it. Jason, that is uh, too much work. Can we just watch the X-Files instead? X-Files. Oh, yeah. I, I love that show as a teenager, yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, also, can I, can I do updates? Oh, like baseball updates? I, I guess. Just don't expect me to understand what the hell you're talking about. 
people! Check out the FBI's Most Unwanted and X-Files podcast on the 13th of every month, anywhere you get podcasts or its home location at rabbitholepodcast.com. The updates are out there. 